Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing children in Star Trek, starting with the new episode of Star Trek Prodigy. Our children are back. Our children are back. And they're so adorable. I once again am surprised at how fast they resolve certain plot lines. And again, I have to remember this is a show for children, like going up into teens, but definitely keeps in mind that it has a child audience and I really appreciate that. Probably children don't thrive on massive amounts of tension right now in the year 2022. (laughs) Not good for kids. I'm re-watching Avatar The Last Airbender and it's so good. I'm into season three which just has everything I love so much but there's this whole episode about Aang's anxiety about having to fight the Fire Lord and you know what if he has to kill someone and what if he's not wearing pants and I was like (laughs) I find this stressful I cannot imagine kids in 2022 responding to it maybe in a few years when the pandemic is further behind us when the overwhelming Mm. stress of the world is diminished but it's interesting how fast society changes and how kids needs change in response to that old of you to think that in a couple of years things will be less stressful yeah i don't know what i'm talking about i no longer have the capacity for that belief we've discussed how i have an optimism problem (laughs) i do appreciate that people who are making stories for kids are taking kids ability to handle certain storylines into their calculations yes and this is an episode where a bunch of kids in spacesuits have to make a flying leap into a spaceship and miss so it's not like this was an episode devoid of tension and terror (laughs) no it's just the difference between the tiger chasing you and the very, very slow tiger of anxiety walking in your blind spot. And also, it's not like they don't, they have ongoing tensions and anxieties, certainly. Mm. I think that this is going to be a chase mm. half season. <laughs> it's so, it's hard to, I understand why they're calling this still the first season, but it is difficult to discuss it that way yes (laughs) and then there are certainly a lot of questions about how they all fit into the universe and I think that those are kind of big questions that kids relate to Mm. and that causes enough stress yeah anyway I like that we don't stretch out the mystery box sides of the storytelling you know when is Gwyn going to remember that the Protostar is a weapon? Oh, okay, she's remembered by the end of this episode. I think that's good. It gives us time to, you know, hit that beat and move on to the next step. Mm-hmm. And as you say, this is a chase half season. The chase has begun. So, you know, our, uh, our, <laughs> they're not our heroes or our crew, our anti-heroes, <laughs> Janeway and company have already gotten to the prison planet. Yes. The destroyed prison planet. This place has seen battle. Do you think I'm reading too much into it to note that the first scene opens with poachers chasing an innocent space whale and Janeway is chasing an innocent set of kids as she is going to learn? I It didn't occur to me. I got... Star Trek movie vibes out of that scene. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Because it was very much like the opening to Into Darkness and all of Star Trek IV. But I do see your point. And also that there were poachers, like the the poachers are Gwyn's dad. Mm. (laughs) There is definitely a parallel there that you can 
call into effect if you want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I'm probably reaching a little, but when you started talking about this half season as a chase, I was like, oh, mm. in the beginning. And I think it's very funny that Into Darkness, which is definitely not one of the more highly regarded Star Trek movies, still has this really powerful ongoing impact on the visuals and the way stories open in New Trek mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. the season four pre-credit sequence in Discovery to this. Yep. I think I kind of like it because it, it's very representative of how I see Starfleet mm. in that, you know, that whole Starfleet is better than this fiction is also still the inspiration. Yes. Like, even though it's not true, it can still be inspiring. And so even though Into Darkness is bad, it can still uh, have that impact. And there's nothing wrong with that scene. No, so. I was just about to say, <laughs> so. the opening of Into Darkness is absolutely the best part of the movie. And in terms of concept and visuals, a highlight for the whole Kelvinverse trilogy. So it's mm -hmm. actually really cool that this is sort of its legacy. So Anyway, back to Prodigy. Yeah, I did not expect them to reach a Starfleet outpost so soon. I guess they've travelled a long way. And they do have the protostar drive. Right, I think there is some jumping. I mean, and didn't... So how did Janeway get to the prison, too? If It, it can't be that far into Delta Quadrant space. Well, if... that and she has the Dauntless, which is the Starfleet version of the fake Starfleet ship created by Ray Wise in the Season 4 finale. I just finished Season 4 of Voyager, so I you know, watch that episode with Prodigy in mind. And that ship has an experimental faster than warp drive system. She's skipping space. Something like that. I can't remember <laughs> what it's called. I guess, but because I don't actually care about ship dynamics at all. <laughs> I mean, not or, that or... kind of ship. <laughs> not, yeah, ship mechanics, I guess mm. I'll say. <laughs> Although that's still... Anyway, I'm not interested in starships. Yeah. So I don't care, and therefore I can hand wave all of it and say, whatever. Right. Ship go fast. Ship go fast. So you have in this list that Starkly Dude was the worst. Yes. And, and you are correct. Thank you. But I blame Starfleet. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> because... I get the impression that this outpost is very, very far from anywhere else, that he is completely alone. There should be more than one person there. Yeah, I got the impression that it's like, you know, one of those, we stick a flag at the edge of the Delta Quadrant to say, yeah, we're, we totally, this is us. Mm. You're, you're entering into our zone, but we don't care about, like, we're not going to put any infrastructure or money or support into any of this absolutely they've planted a flag and dropped a guy and <laughs> that's it federation space it's really the federation at its worst and i love it <laughs> i love it too i i love that it's sort of a through line in new trek now that starfleet bureaucracy is terrible <laughs> I was thinking that it's just terrible that we have this one guy out here on his own. But also the Starfleet, they're not really out to recruit bureaucrats. They're looking for the people who, you know, mm -hmm. the final frontier. When really they do need people like you and me who just want to sit mm -hmm. in our office and make things work. Can I just say, I would love to be at an outpost in new space. Right. All by <laughs> Doing my thing, and then whenever we got visitors, I could do a little, you know, a big, like, let's all have a wine party. Mm, mm. <laughs> Maybe not for the kids, but I think that that sounds great. Yeah. And I've always said that I don't belong in Starfleet, so. I think you found your place in Starfleet. It's my niche. <laughs> also, even if you think these children are saboteurs, you don't leave them to die. Buddy, this is just you, not cricket. Not Starfleet. Yeah. <laughs> that is yeah. just, they're children. Mm. Children. Mm. Mm. Children. Rock Talk is like six. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is going on here? 
It was very interesting and a little alarming to me that he jumped to this conclusion. Because, yes, he speaks to Rock Talk as if she's a child. You know, do you want to be a rock star? Wow, racist. But the others, he really looks at these teenagers and treats them like adults, which is in some ways what they want, but is it what they need? And I think part of the challenge in dealing with young people is walking that line. Anyway, that dude, not great. Probably wouldn't have been great even if a legitimate starship full of adults pulled up. So I think we can say that the guy in season three of Discovery is still the only good Starfleet mid-level bureaucrat. Yes. And he was barely Starfleet. (laughs) He was doing his best. Precious. Precious. Well, oh, I, I meant that as a compliment. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> just, of course. Just please put it out there. Yes. So, we roll up to the space station where we learn that Starfleet Command knows what Dal is. Am I the only one who thinks that's a really, really bad sign? I mean, it can't be good I, for Dal. It can't be good for Dal. I have concerns that he's going to be some kind of science experiment or he's like, time traveling or something <laughs> ridiculous something really you know i i had et flashbacks yeah yeah Is... i don't think he can be a time traveler because gwyn and her father are time travelers so i'm like is he the lost child of an admiral but then no because the system would at least tell him you know say what he right. is is he a salamander lizard baby I saw one of the producers share the theory that he is an omega molecule, which is nifty. I thought of omega myself, (laughs) and we know I love them. I know, I know. I watched the omega molecule and I thought of you. But I feel like if the producer shares a theory, it's not the right theory. Mm. So yeah, we can keep on guessing. I'm going with Janeway Paris Salamander Baby. Well, because the reason that would be good, yes, is because we get that beautiful hug between Dahl and Hollow Janeway, and if actual Janeway is his mom, that's precious. I know, just just precious. I love it. I don't really want them to be related, but <laughs> it would be funny. Can I just say the worst Star Trek fans would hate it, and so that's it's another check in the pro column for me oh my gosh yes you are so right i completely agree but then that raises the question of like where is his sibling does that mean season two is dull searching the delta quadrant for his salamander baby sibling siblings there were oh, three yeah there were three. <gasps> oh no but i mean i want that for doll too so yeah, again no, that would be great ridiculous not true however i like the idea mm. of doll having Dal being a triplet and having others out there. He's so lonely. That's true. That's that true. I, a built-in family sounds nice. Yes. Yes. I am always a little lukewarm on how fandom takes the found family trope, but I like a blend of the found family and the biological family and the messy and complicated and lovely ways that they can combine. Yes, me too. I have nothing against found families, but I agree there is this, it's not one or the other. You can, mm. you can even have a found family with your biological family, obviously. Okay, like, let me just put it out there. I don't actually think that Dahl is Janeway and Paris' child. Sadly, However, no. if Dahl was Janeway and Paris' child, he would have to find them. <laughs> like it would still be found family even if they were biological. But there would be this really interesting dynamic of, you know, there's Janeway and Paris, and then there would also be Bolana and Moral and any other kids they yes. have. And on the other side, there would be Hollow Janeway, and, you know, we bring in Chakotay, and, like, there would be all this this stuff, you know, the Doctor and and all of the other people on Voyager. So... There's just a lot there that is very interesting to me. And so I like that mess and how complicated that is. I really like complicated, messy, familial relationships. Absolutely. And I was about to say, I kind of, I want 
these kids to be connected with the Voyager crew because Seven is so detached from them in Picard and it's like Seven Mm. has cut herself off from her family. But then you're talking about how messy and complicated this is and I'm like, of course she stepped back. She probably (laughs) sees Tuvok once a year and that is very fulfilling to both of them (laughs) and that's it. That's it. That's enough. Yeah. Yeah. We're good. Mm. So I said that Gwyn's amnesia was resolved fast and then I said maybe a little too fast because I have this awful theory that the protostar is not the only weapon and that the diviner has implanted something within Gwyn or within her psychic sword that will also cause damage to the Federation and to the people she loves. I'm interested by the phrasing I remember everything. Yes. I want to know what the everything is because that's more than I remember that this ship is a weapon. I remember that my father did something to the ship to create a weapon. Mm. I don't know that Gwyn would know that she had also been altered. No, that's what I'm afraid of. I mean, (laughs) that's my favorite trope. No, same. (laughs) I mean, I guess I'm afraid of it, but also sign me up. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh no, this is terrible. I can't wait. He could have done it to all of them, really, realistically. Oh, Every single no. kid could have a chip. Probably Zero is the only one who wouldn't because Zero made their own thing. I mean, Zero was being used as a weapon by him, but I don't think that he could like alter their <laughs> stuff. That makes me think, what if... Zero is the one to save the others from... Right. Oh, that would be great. Like, I am speculating without basis. Yeah, but I know. That would be no... <laughs> yeah. But Zero's tinkering and ability to create that suit for themselves, mm. I, I would love that to come into play again. Yes, yes. Because I'm, I'm expecting and slightly dreading that eventually Zero will get a shiny... Starfleet upgrade suit that is based on their design but also pretty and Starfleet-y. Yeah, yeah. And I would like their abilities and their skills to be used. I would be okay with them getting their Starfleet suit if they still, those skills were still important. If of, they of made their, their own. own. Yeah. Yeah. Or if own. they made their own Starfleet suit. Yeah. Like, you know, it was like, hey, I now I can get my transparent aluminum or whatever. I will upgrade it myself. That would be okay. <laughs> you want it to be something that they've created, not something that's given to them. Right. Yes. Yeah. Especially from Starfleet. Yeah. I love the scene where Janeway is helping Dahl, like, straighten up his uniform and all of that. And the hug. It means so much that... Dahl hugs Janeway because mm-hmm. he's so dis- was so distrustful of her and yet is so hungry for mentorship and someone who believes in him. But then I'm also like, guys, you don't have to wear uniforms. Like, maybe don't rock up to the Starbase wearing uniforms you haven't earned yet. I don't care about the uniforms or any other... <laughs> It's another thing I just... I don't actually care. Apparently the aesthetic of Star Trek is not important to me. Which is interesting because I know people who are obsessed with both the ship design and uniforms. I think I think that that Star Trek is interesting because there's so much room for people, like for all types of okay. people, for everything, something for everybody. That's very yeah. True. It's like Doctor Who fans who are obsessed with the design of the TARDIS over the decades, which is weird, but <laughs> it changes. <laughs> it does. Apparently, the Russell T Davies TARDIS had windows in the wrong size or something and lots of people were very upset i don't know i don't really care can we talk about yeah. rock talk narrowing down her scientific interests yes i love adorable this. <laughs> especially because and i know one of your pet peeves is that people have to find their path at age 18 or whatever yes and so here is rock talk at approximately 80-ish who knows she wants to be a scientist and then it's like there are 200 types of science and she's so excited at the prospect of finding out more and narrowing them down adorable that's what everyone everyone should have the opportunity to experience all of it and not Mm -hmm. have to decide and not have to like 
go a certain way. So she's sort of my thesis in Mm. that I want to believe that in the utopian federation future, a child can be determined to be a scientist at eight Mm -hmm. and just go through all of the sciences, the way that that kids go through soccer and then ballet and then swimming and then map making and then chess. And that will be supported. She's not required to finish anything that she starts. She can just keep going and switch around. And then when she's 26 and has decided to be a rocket engineer, but then meets a Vulcan and decides to become a philosopher instead, (laughs) that that is also good. That's what I want for now. That's what I want for everybody now. Instead of this idea of you have to decide you're going to play soccer for 12 years and you also are going to focus on math Mm. and not care about literature. That is so limiting when there's so much you can study and I think everybody should have the opportunity to go for all of it. Yes. And Rock Talk has been given a space to pursue her passions and find out what they are, which is just so healthy. And I guess it's probably less healthy to put the lives of her friends in her hands and in her giant brain, but needs must. My favorite part of Rock Talk's storyline was that they trusted her. Yes. That both earlier in the episode, they were dis- you know, discussing all of the different sciences. And I forget the exact line, but I'll say, you know, hey, Rock Talk, what's the thing? And she's like, well, you're the captain. And he said, yeah, you're the science officer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that was so validating. <laughs> and I loved it. They trust her even when she doesn't trust herself. Right. And the other thing I love is that she got it wrong. Her maths was slightly off. And yet she got them close enough that Janeway was able to save them. And there's no recrimination that she got it wrong. There's no self-blame. She's just like, yeah, it's really precise. This is a safe space for Rock Talk to make mistakes, and I love that. That's important in the kids' show, can I just say. And especially in a depiction of a scientist in a kid's show. Mm -hmm. She's learning and she's making mistakes and that's really okay. Also, I will just say, as someone who works with scientists, Mm -hmm. making mistakes is part of your job. It is expected to make mistakes as part of science. And I loved that when she asks how many types of science there are, the computer says there are currently 100 and whatever, because Mm -hmm, that's going mm -hmm. to change. You know, fields are going to merge, fields are going to separate, something completely new is going to come off. It's a really thoughtful bit of scripting. I love Prodigy. I know, it's so good. I was a little (laughs) underwhelmed that Murph is just a slime worm. However... You have the note here that this is a reference to a season one TNG episode where Wesley is called a whatever slime worm as an insult. And that's Mm -hmm. the episode where he's trying to get into Starfleet Academy. Mm -hmm. And there's this whole thing about how hard it is because there are so many applicants, they only take the best. And Wesley doesn't get in. And Picard didn't get in. Yeah. Yeah. We learn. (laughs) Yeah. In this particular episode, which is about them getting to Starfleet and yet not being invited in. Yeah. Despite their their attempts to build up their resume on the way. <laughs> oh, my children. <laughs> which is very precious. Nerds. I want to believe in the utopian Starfleet future where if you don't get in the first time, it's not held against you. Yes. You can try again and you can make it yes so and i think you know this is conceived as a gateway series to the rest of star trek and it's really very thoughtful and deliberate in its scripting so they know that kids are going to go oh that's from this episode i'm going to fire up paramount plus and watch that and that's the message that they're going to get that which is wonderful yes because really that episode is one of the standouts of season one next gen and sort of is the thesis statement for 
Wesley's arc, which I guess we can talk about more when we get into our general discussion about children in Starfleet, but we would not have Prodigy if we had not had Wesley Crusher. Absolutely. And it's important to remember that it's it's important that that is a Wesley episode because Wesley is the entrance for Mm. Prodigy watchers to the next generation. Yeah. I will mention again that my little brother asked me to help him join the Wesley Crusher fan club. And we had posters, like giant posters that we hung up on his wall that he like shared with my other two brothers. But over his bed were these big pictures of one of Will Wheaton and one of Wesley Crusher. And it's important (laughs) to understand that Wesley might be hated by the fandom at that time. And those people have sort of come around because they've grown up and grown out of their prejudices in some ways. I think to an extent, I think the reaction to Will Wheaton's cameo in Picard shows us that a lot of people still hate Wesley Crusher and everything he stands for. Those people are wrong. But Wesley Crusher wasn't for them. Wesley Crusher was not for... 16 year old boys to like Wesley Crusher was for 11 year old girls and their five year old little brothers to like so that's my point yeah and through Wesley then Jake and then Naomi Wildman we have Prodigy oh Mm -hmm. gosh a Naomi Wildman cameo in Prodigy how great would that be please 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 can I just say, Jenkin Pog did not have much to do in this episode, but I think at this point he might be the best disability representation in current Star Trek. I did a whole rewatch of the first 10 episodes mm. before this one, and I will say that he is definitely the least developed yes. of the crew. But I agree that he he's important. He certainly plays an important role. He just hasn't gotten his own stuff yet we don't know enough about him separate from everybody else but he is important to the whole group yes the ensemble yes and i hope that we do learn how he lost his arm and how he came Mm. to build his own prosthetic but i do think that currently he's the only disabled character who in the main cast for sure who yeah in a main cast who isn't going to die because this is a kid's show and Mm -hmm. whose life as a person with a disability is not treated as horrifying or tragic. I mean, it's not explored at all and that is a different problem, but at this point the bar is very low and I will take this. (laughs) Yes, I definitely... It's another, like, don't fix him, Starfleet. Mm. Yeah. Back off. Back off, Starfleet. Yeah, give him what he needs. I see you. Give him what he needs to make a better prosthetic and just let him do his thing. So I think I've been very restrained, but I just want to talk about the fact that after 26 years, I finally got a Janeway Chakotay hug. I wish I could be happier than I am. No, Robert Beltran is the worst and demonstrated it again this week. This week? This week. Way to advertise your return to Star Trek. Dude. Just the worst. I'm picking on Tim Russ. Tim Russ of all Lovely. I'm very torn because on the one hand, I think that it would be so easy to just George Lucas, Chakotay out of this series and put Tim Russ in and nothing needs to change. We can still have the hug and the shipping. Like, I will totally ship Janeway Tuvok. I'm completely on board with that. I've been shipping Janeway Tuvok for 20 years. But we could do it canonically now. I will go right and say I would prefer that. Not even just because Robert Beltran is the worst, although that's most of it, but because I, I wrote in here, you wrote, Jamie's hasten to coach with all the determination she brought to getting Voyager home. And that's true. However, the only reason Voyager was stuck in the Delcart in the first place is because Janeway was chasing Tuvok. Yes, yes. And it was very important to her and she will always find Tuvok and she also, you know, midway through season five, goes on a, a big journey through Borg space to find Seven. She is the type of person who, when her people are missing, mm-hmm. she will do whatever is necessary to go find them. And so I'm not upset 
that it's Chicote, but I'm a little upset that it's Chicote because I would rather it be Tuvok, who I like better, you know, just as a character. I like their relationship better. I apologize, all Jay Sears. And I love Tim Russ way more than Robert Beltram. I think this is all completely true. My feeling is that Chakotay seems like, well, first of all, he's barely in this, like he's basically an object for Janeway and that's how it should be. But I feel like he has the potential to be a more interesting character in Prodigy. And because it's animated, I feel like this is not really just Robert Beltran's work. There is so much work that goes into the art and the animation Mm. and the design. And then he comes in for a couple of hours at the end and does the voice. Like, Mm -hmm. If it was live action, I would be more put off by his presence, but... I mean, I just, I don't want him to end up on a stage Yeah. at New York Comic Con. Like, I don't want to watch him. I don't want him to be there. And yeah. so that's where I'm at. And that's personal and maybe unfair, <laughs> but that's where I'm at. No, I think that's a reasonable way to feel. I definitely wish that Chakotay had a better actor who was actually Native American. Hey, recast Chakotay. I'm all for it. Oh my God. Another thing that would make the worst fans angry. Look, I realize that he was in seven seasons of Voyager, but it's not too late. That's right. It's not too late. You can do it now. It's really frustrating because Robert Beltran is the worst. And yet I see Janeway hanging out on the holodeck, watching her past self farewell him and wondering why he didn't come to her for help. And I'm just like, this is everything I have ever wanted since I was 14 years old. I'm glad for that for you and for all of the other JCers in the fandom. And they are innumerable. So So many. I get it. It was never my ship. I I shipped Janeway with at least three or four other people before (laughs) Chicote. So I I am just the outlier. I see a lot of people calling for a Star Trek Janeway live series. And I'm like, hey, you've watched Picard, right? You know what happens when, when we get this sort of nonsense. And B, Prodigy is right here. It is very much not Star Trek Janeway. She is the supporting character and, as you say, the anti-hero. But isn't that great? Isn't that just so unexpected and delightful and fun? It is. And I love the multiple Janeways. We have at least three or four Janeways now, and that's great. She is a good voice actress. I mean, like, not to keep kicking Robert Beltram, but he doesn't bring anything... To, to the uh, the acting part of voice acting. Whereas Kate Mulgrew, her Janeways are distinct Janeways. Yes. In fact, I noticed, like, okay, voices change as you get older. We saw it with the DS9 cameos the other week. You know, women's voices do get deeper and huskier with age. But Hollow Janeway sounds younger than Admiral Janeway. Mm-hmm. And that is just a beautiful piece of work on Kate Mulgrew's part. You can make whatever you want. If they want to make Star Trek Janeway, I will definitely watch it. And oh, yeah. enjoy it and be excited. I would be trepidatious. Yes. <laughs> Especially if they included any new characters that <laughs> I should not get attached to them. Because it's just going to end up being a Voyager reunion. Yeah. Which I don't necessarily want. So let's have a quick discussion, and I say quick because you're unwell and my computer is unwell, about children (laughs) in Star Trek. Yes. We've been putting this off. (laughs) I just want to go through my little stats because I find them very interesting. Yes! I think that this doesn't have to be the only time we talk about children in Star Trek, but I think that laying down a foundation Mm. is good. So I did a little audit of all of Star Trek discounting Prodigy for everything because it is literally centered on children and therefore (laughs) is skewed Mm. to kids. I did not include it in any of my counts because Prodigy is special. Yeah. But so all of the other ones, I described children as a human or alien who is younger than 18 years old or the equivalent. Yep. And I... 
looked at the episodes and you know some obviously like Jake and Wesley are in a lot of episodes that are not about them yes <laughs> so yes. I did not include episodes where they were present but not important mm-hmm. but I did choose any episode that featured a child as important to the plot yeah which means they were either driving the plot they were the main character of that particular episode or the storyline that was brought out in that episode wouldn't happen without a child. The child, the TNG episode, doesn't really have a lot, like it's not really about kids. It's about Deanna. (laughs) However, I included it because you couldn't have that episode without a child. Makes sense to me. So what I learned is pretty interesting in that Lower Decks has zero. That surprised me. I find that amazing. I was like, that can't be true. And so I went back and I looked at all the episodes and really there is no episode where a kid plays any significant role or really plays a role at all in that series. And yet it is the other cartoon. Do you think that's because the main characters Mm -hmm. kind of are childish? So it would almost be absurd to have an actual child? I do think so. I do think that it is because of... It's a comedy. It's a a broad comedy. And so I think that kids would get in the way of that. Yeah. And it is purposefully written as a cartoon for adults. Yes. So I think those two things combined to make it so they were just like, let's just not have kids. (laughs) And it's also sort of a recurring thing that it's really hard to have a relationship in Starfleet. And the parental storyline is about Beckett and like Beckett's mm-hmm. parents and their adult daughter. Right. Yeah. But then the other ones that didn't have a lot. So Enterprise, I included the last two episodes, sort of the, not counting the very last episode, the almost last two episodes mm. of Enterprise with the baby. Again, baby Elizabeth, yes. who is not really the point, but you couldn't have what happens without that baby existing. And I am not surprised that Enterprise doesn't have any kids because it was trying very hard to be adult. Yes, and very hard to separate itself from the TNG mold. Right, precisely. Also, I feel like the early 2000s were maybe a bad time for television where children were present. Mm-hmm. It feels like the beginning of the separation of children's and adult entertainment, and so the decline of family entertainment. Right, exactly. Enterprise is very much a we don't want families to watch us. We want white men aged between 18 and 35. Exactly. So then we have what I call the middles, which is TOS at seven, Discovery at five, Strange New Worlds at four, and Picard at three. Mm -hmm. Now, Strange New Worlds and Picard, that's actually pretty high considering how few episodes they have. Yeah, that's impressive. And Discovery and TOS have about the same amount of episodes as well and have, you know, just a smattering. Again, like Adira is on the cusp. So I Mm. included like their introduction, but I didn't include subsequent episodes (laughs) because they're sort of past the Wesley age, you know, they're more 18 than 16 or 15. But I do think that their introduction and the storyline around Adira and gray at the very beginning is a childish and i'm i'm saying that relates to children not like immature immature yes (laughs) i think when we covered it i compared it to a ya romance so that fits yes so ds9 voyager and tng yeah have the most they also have the most episodes voyager and ds9 are are very close together at 16 and 10 ds9 is hard because it actually has a lot of serial Mm. storylines, and so it's hard to separate episodes. And Jake is an adult by the end, and very much a child at the beginning. I was sort of like, should I include Jake episodes after season five? Not really. Mm. (laughs) Nog, too. Nog is a child at the beginning and is... I, you know, has gone through a war and lost a leg by the yeah, <laughs> end yeah. of it. It's their coming of age. And so they are children at the beginning, but they aren't mm. by the end. And so they, it sort of drops off. Whereas Naomi Wildman is a child throughout. Yes. And then TNG though, TNG at 25. That is a big winner. Yeah. And that's not just Wesley. That is Oh no, oh, no. that is many, many children. <laughs> there are so many one-off kids. 
in TNG that are super important. The number of them that like imprint on a member of the crew and then yeah. like it's a whole episode about how they're trying to be more Klingon or more like an android and are avoiding their own stuff and everybody got one like data got one and Worf got one and beverly got one and picard got many yes <laughs> and Riker got one everybody gets a little doppelganger child can i just say as someone who watched tng as a child a child who ignores their own problems by obsessing over a member of the enterprise crew really resonates <laughs> you know, extremely realistic. There are only two that were actually in the main cast, and that's Wesley and Jake. Yeah. And that means, like, in the credits, in the opening credits. <laughs> Nod was certainly a factor, and Naomi Wildman made a, a great impact. They were never in the credits. Yeah. So they don't get counted as main child characters. But there were recurring. DSN and Voyager had the most with three. So it was Jake, Nug, and Alexander in DS9. Molly, too. Molly, not Alexander. Alexander's a child in TNG, but and not a child in, yeah. in, deep, in Deep Space Nine. Mm. That's what it was. So uh, TNG only has Wesley and Alexander as recurring. But again, so many one-off <laughs> children. So many. And uh, Picard has Rios. Oh, yeah. Rios kids. <laughs> like, unfortunate little child <laughs> he's there so he gets counted and uh, strange new worlds has rukia and then tos enterprise and lower decks again no recurring children which is fine it's fine i'm Absolutely. not like saying that as a black mark or anything i'm just it's interesting that it makes sense to me that again deep space nine voyager and the next generation have a lot of kids and mm. then picard like <laughs> Picard, TOS, Enterprise, and Lower Decks do not. Like, I get that. That that makes sense to me. It does feel like a reflection of the evolution of television. You know, TOS comes from an era where all television was, by definition, family television. You couldn't air anything that you couldn't watch with your kids. But exactly. it was very self-consciously science fiction for adults and really stood out, you know, compared with Lost in Space or Doctor Who. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and TNG and and Deep Space Nine, I think also the fact that they were syndicated yes. meant that they really, really wanted to have it as wide a uh, audience as possible. Absolutely. They wanted to capture yeah. as many people as possible because they were specifically selling it not on a network, but to whoever would be willing to pick it up. And this was still the era of the cute kid character, particularly when Next Generation was conceived. I don't know if you ever watched the original Battlestar Galactica, but that had an adorable child with an adorable robot. I sometimes think I've seen Battlestar Galactica, the 70s one, but mm -hmm. I think it was actually Bar Buck Rogers. And <laughs> not Battlestar Galactica. But that was the formula, you know, you have your adult cast and you have your one kid. And so that follows into Next Gen and Deep Space Nine. And I remember when Babylon 5 came out, one of its points of distinction was that there were no children. Mm, interesting. Yes. And <laughs> you see that change by later in the 90s when Voyager comes along. And it's actually quite a few years before they introduce children to the cast. Mm -hmm. So now I'm just going to go through some recurring child-centric storylines mm -hmm. because I just find this very interesting. So I saw recently on Twitter uh, someone put up a poll that was like what's the worst episode in all of Star Trek? If you took all the Star Treks which episode is the worst episode and the two choices were and the children shall lead or other. Uh, it's obviously retrospect. <laughs> So this t tells you a lot about this person. Absolutely. <laughs> and the children shall lead is, is the worst of Star Trek because I can think of like five or six yeah. at least off the top of my head that are worse than that. But this person hates kids. But in And the Children Shall Leave, a group of children, super powerful, mind-bending children take over the Enterprise. That is one of nine <laughs> episodes of Star Trek where a powerful child or children take over the ship or crew. Do you think we can put a prodigy in that category? <laughs> yes. I mean, the, the thesis of, of prodigy is what if a bunch of kids took over the ship? Hmm. 
four of them are actually in TOS. <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't just and the children shall lead. There were three others just in TOS. Okay, this is fascinating to me because you know TOS was made in the 60s, but the writers weren't really part of the counterculture. They were establishment guys. Most of them like Gene Roddenberry had served in World War II, so they were that generation. And so they're writing television and they're looking at the world around them where, you know, the youth are taking over and you have <laughs> the relatively new concept of teenagers as young people who aren't adults but still what have rights and money right, and yes. a place in the popular culture and they're extrapolating this to what if the young children take over? <laughs> it's pretty, pretty crazy. So, I yes. love it. Okay, and then I, another recurring one is episodes that involve kidnapping and or parent napping. Of course. Where either the child or the parent <laughs> is abducted. And there are seven of those, which, you know, I, I just, I, I find it fun. It's like, you know, we like to go into the well and, yes, and, yeah. I'm going to put uh, this out there. If you don't want your kids to be kidnapped by aliens, maybe don't take don't your whole them. family on, on the starship. Yeah, I didn't even include Seven in The Raven. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so episodes, and I mentioned this already, where a child imprints on one of our crew, that's 12 episodes of okay. Star Trek. That's more than we have regular members of the TNG cast. So does that include Naomi is... wanting to be the captain's assistant? or Yes, yes, it does include Dark Frontier. Excellent. <laughs> so you, you caught up, caught in there. And it also, it includes my least favorite episode of Star Trek. <laughs> Lift us up. We're suffering <laughs> in our reach. So... Fuck. You know, all the way through, all the way from you know, one TOS, mostly, again, mostly in TNG. Mm. This is like at least one in every season of TNG, but but also in Voyager and mm. Discovery and mm. even Strange New Worlds. It's like we've gone from children are threats who could take over the ship to children are mini adults who want to be exactly like us. Right, which is another really, really strange mm, plot. Mm. I, as someone who has children and who has worked with children, I, you know, middle middle school aged mostly, but I would include my college freshmen, honestly. <laughs> and that is not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> that is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, not yeah. a once-a-season. Yeah, it really feels like an adult fantasy of what a child should be yes. like. exactly. A exactly. miniature adult. So there are eight episodes of our crew as children. You know, where flashbacks. We eat... Yes, yes okay. that includes flashbacks, where it's either a flashback or that one episode where they're reduced to children. Because I was like, I would know if that happened more than once. <laughs> No, no, it's Rascals and then seven flashback episodes. Okay, okay. And again, like, I didn't include Tuvok's flashback in flashback. <laughs> right, right. Because that wasn't the point of that episode, even though we did get to see Tuvok as a child. It was, like, not even really Tuvok. As opposed to seeing Michael Burnham as a child. Exactly. Michael Burnham's a child, lineage with Falana, 30 days with, mm. with Tom, and yesteryear with Spy. <laughs> you know those episodes did you include the short trek the animated short trek where michael's dad uh, is telling her a story i put the, the short treks in and then i took the short treks out because it was confusing me and i couldn't figure out how, where to put them in yeah. so i did not but i would i would be happy to add that particular one because it is about i did like I included Children of Mars in Picard because I was like, oh, this is really like pre-Picard, so that counts. And I like looked at Q and A and Trouble with Edward, and like there were no kids in those no, no. Discovery episodes or Strange New Worlds episodes. And then there are eight, eight episodes where our crew have children. Right. Wesley, Jake, and Rukia don't count because they were born before mm. the series, but Molly does count. And... Of course, Kiriyoshi. Right. Having kids as a part, it's it's sort of like Star Trek acknowledges that children 
are important to the story of life and the story of identity and the story of exploration mm. that Star Trek is centered on. But they're not good at incorporating that into, like, until Prodigy. Yeah. <laughs> they were not good at showcasing children. And I think that the reason that Prodigy works so well, other than just the people behind it are really good at their job, is because there aren't any adults. Yes, which is so often the key to great children's stories. But particularly in Star Trek, where the setting is a pseudo-military spaceship or space station, what sane parent would want their children to be a part of that? And after the experiment of Next Gen, I think everyone realized that was a really terrible idea and ends with your children being assimilated. So, whoops. The nature of Star Trek's setting and the stories that they choose to tell is that there's not a big place for children. You know, if we had our civilian Star Trek politics series, like, say, Mm -hmm. set in the 32nd century, that would be really interesting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that there are ways to tell Star Trek stories with children, but they do require thinking outside the box a little. And not killing them or leaving them to die. I mean, look at poor Admiral Vance, who was away from his kids for yeah, most of yeah, their life. Yeah. <laughs> because his life was in danger all the time. Mm. And so he didn't bring his family into that situation. Yeah. Space is dangerous. Leave your kids at home. But then he doesn't get to see them. So it's, yeah. it's hard. It's hard. It is hard. I still think that Michael and Book should have a baby and Book should retire and move to Vulcan to raise it. Oh, Navar. Yeah, Navar. I'm sorry, I keep dead naming Vulcan. And I think Strange New Worlds should stop killing children. Yeah, I mentioned when we were doing Strange New Worlds that Strange New Worlds hates kids. That's the message I got out of Strange New Worlds is they are a problem. It's like we've gone from children are dangerous and will take over the ship to the best children are the ones who want to be miniature adults. Are, are dead. <laughs> to, to, the, yeah. to the best children are dead. The best children are absent. Conveniently removed from the situation. I don't know what that says about society. Really? Right. Like, I don't have children, but my friends have children. I spend time with the children of my friends. Children are a part of life. I don't think it's only Star Trek. I mean, no one is out there saying we want children to be dead, but quite a lot of people are out there saying we want children to be controlled. Controlled or, you know, conveniently not present. Right. Yes. To be separate and to act the way we want them to act at all times and to look, feel and think the way that we want them to at all times. And that is underlying in Strange New Worlds. And again, I I think it's society weighing on the writers. I don't think the writers are doing it on purpose. I don't think the, I don't think the writers even noticed that they were writing this. I don't think the writers noticed a lot of their subtext in Strange New Worlds, and that's a problem. But it is very much there, mm. and it's a real problem. It's me. sort of the logical extension of the depiction of children in TNG, where, yes, they're either miniature adults imprinting on an adult, or they're acting out in some way, whether that's mm-hmm. my five-year-old is behind in his calculus or my teenager listens to Klingon rock music. Either way, these expressions of, I should say, harmless expressions of individuality are mm-hmm. problematic and need to be fixed. And Strange New Worlds just takes it to a slightly greater extreme where these children are very mildly individualistic, they're pro-social, they're nice kids, but they're inconvenient, so we just need to dispose of them. I love Dr. Mabenga, so this is going to be hard for me to say. And I don't think that he's abusive towards her, because when I put it out there, he is not abusive towards Rikia by doing this. But I think that that plot line, the plot line of, I'm going to save my child by putting her in a drawer for 23 out of 24 hours of a day 
And the only way that she is saved is to be transformed into an adult. Yes. <laughs> is not a great storyline for a child. No, no. You understand where Mabenga is coming from, but the writers again exactly. didn't think it through. And it's the writers. It's not it's not the character. There's something wrong in that storyline. I don't hate Rakia's how Rakia's storyline ended because I wasn't ready for another dead child in Strange New Worlds. But I think on a storytelling level, in terms of emotions and reality, it was a cop-out. Yes. Right. Because they they created a storyline that they were like, ooh, wouldn't it be interesting if he had this secret child who had an illness that was too difficult for even super space science of the future but he was you know determined and he was gonna to save her and isn't that interesting character type for dr mabenga mm. and they didn't see rukia as a person i think this is the point you made about strange new worlds kids like when we were talking about it that all of the child child characters are plot devices more than characters and say what you want about TNG and their creepy pod children, but quite a lot of those children were characters as well as plot devices. Yes, yes. And also, I, I say what you want about the, the pod children, and they were all there, but also the end of every single one of those episodes was, this is not how you deal with your trauma. Yes, yes. <laughs> Actually, you have to feel it, and you have to acknowledge it, and you have to have your own identity and that's what growing up actually is yeah basically strange new worlds needs counselor troy to come in at the end of every episode and go guys this is not the way strange new worlds <laughs> is the reason that deanna troy is on the enterprise d yes yeah exactly that's 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 the reality of the situation <laughs> Before we wrap up, can I segue back to Prodigy by saying that I so enjoyed your fic where Dahl is in need of a little therapy and goes to Katrina Cornwell because he figures that any therapist who stared down a photon torpedo has to be his kind of person. I love Dahl so much. I really enjoyed writing his perspective because he's so fun yes. and he's so my kind of my kind of character. That very needy brash young man who wants to appear like he has it all together but desperately needs a hug and guidance and i really i loved that episode like i said i rewatched all the episodes and that one is so poignant and his relationship with spock is so special and so i was like why would he never talk to these holograms again his regular mentor is a hologram so right. there's no reason why these holograms aren't just as good he's not going to discriminate and i posted it on wednesday and then thursday when i watched the episode and like doll literally said about starfleet you know like what if they don't like me <laughs> and i was like i just wrote that fan. i had that feeling of this show gets me and that's why I get this show. I love that. And that's why it's my, you know, favorite of all of the new series. Yeah, look, I love Discovery and it's a close second, but Prodigy, it's just good, man. It's just good. <laughs> uh, shout out to the writers for really having a tight, tight storyline mm -hmm. and characterizations. The only episode I don't like of those first, I guess, 11 now is the Ferengi one. And, you know, stop making Ferengi happen. <laughs> Just right. stop trying. I don't care. So You know what? You and I are probably never going to enjoy a Ferengi episode, but it wasn't a terrible episode. It, mm. it wasn't amazing, but it just it mostly just wasn't for us. And so I right, think, right. I think yes. their hit rate is really, really high. And right. The thought they put into every line of dialogue is just really impressive. Speaking as someone who loves Discovery but wants to go over every single script with a red pen. Discovery is overwritten. <laughs> yes. Because Picard is underwritten. Prodigy is just very smartly told and also is beautiful. I just, I know I say it every week, but the animation is stunning. That, that first scene underwater mm. just 
absolutely beautiful work. The water animation was particularly outstanding. Not just the underwater sequence, but when Gwyn is in the tank and Mm -hmm. she releases herself and the water flows out. That was just the most beautiful piece of animation. It's just absolutely beautiful. And the music also. I will say that the music is good across the board. All of New Trek has really great music. They're all working hard at making it stunning, and I appreciate it. As someone who really, really has a deep connection to music, and particularly to musical scores. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, all at antimatterpod, and write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. I just want to note that our Instagram is especially outstanding. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in one week when we'll be discussing the next episode of Star Trek Prodigy. We're back to one week! Yay, I hope my computer makes it. (laughs) Ha 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 ha!